there, welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie and this is a Wicked World. So the crime we have today was not only a burglary, but it was also a kidnapping involving a mother and daughter. We're gonna be talking about Michelle Renee and her daughter, Bria. It was back in 1988 when Michelle Renee landed an executive job at the Bank of America near her home in San Diego County, California. Little did she know this job would one day lead to a devastating and violent invasion of her and her daughter's home. Michelle Renee held the position of Assistant Vice President at Bank of America in Vista, California, which was close to her home in San Diego. She had achieved quite a lot with her hard work throughout the years at her job, though the best part in her eyes was the fact that it enabled her to provide a comfortable life for her beautiful seven-year-old daughter, Bria. It's November of 2000, and Michelle and her daughter are relaxing, enjoying a nice evening in their home, when all of a sudden, three masked intruders burst through the door of their home. They grabbed Michelle, Bria, and their roommate, Kimbra, and tied all three of them by their hands and feet with duct tape. When Michelle was finally able to look up for her daughter, she saw that Bria was laying face down, taped up with a gun to her head. Michelle was terrified. What was it that these people wanted with her and her daughter? I heard my daughter say, are you gonna kill my mommy? And are you gonna kill me? And they said, no, not if your mommy does everything that we tell her to do. The kidnappers told Michelle that she was gonna steal $360,000 for them out of the vault where she worked at Bank of America. And she was gonna do it quickly or they were all gonna die and Bria would be first. It turns out that the three robbers had been casing the branch for months now and knew exactly where Michelle and Bria had lived for a while. They told Michelle that they knew everything about her they explained clearly to her why they had chosen her and that they had followed her around for months without her knowing. She was rightfully terrified. Since it was nighttime, the bank would not open again until 9 a.m. the next morning. So that meant that the three men that had broken into their house were going to be spending the night. And they were going to be spending the night taped up and in fear for their lives. Throughout the night, Michelle heard the ringleader of the group talking to a female voice on a walkie-talkie. The woman on the other end kept calling the ringleader Money One, and he called her Money Two. Michelle thought that she recognized the voice on the other end of the walkie-talkie. There was something about it that sounded familiar. And then Michelle noticed that the ringleader's eyes also looked very familiar, but she couldn't quite place them. The next morning, sticks of dynamite were taped to Michelle, Bria, and Kimbra's backs. The assailants then showed Michelle the detonator and told her that if she made one false move, they would be able to detonate the dynamite within a 10 mile radius. They reminded her that her daughter would go first. So don't pull any funny stuff. Bria was placed in the closet and Michelle drove down to the bank in her car with the ringleader of the group crouched down in the back. The bank opened and Michelle ran in with an empty duffel bag. She went to the vault with her coworker as two people were required in the vault at all times. Her coworker could tell that something was different. 
Michelle wasn't her normal self. She seemed edgy and scared. Michelle quietly told her coworker about how her daughter and her were being held hostage. Her coworker gasped and said, let's call the police. Michelle said, no, we cannot call the police. Don't call the police. Just help me get the money and get it out of here or they're going to kill me and Bria. So she helped her shovel the cash into the duffel bag. They had managed to get $360,000 into the duffel bag within a matter of minutes. Michelle came out of the bank and handed the duffel bag off to one of the men. As soon as she did, they took off and left her there. Michelle had also made the connection as to how she knew some of the kidnappers. The ringleader of the group had posed as a customer the same day that they had broken to Michelle and Bria's house. He had sat at Michelle's desk and even handed her his personal business card. That was until the female that she had heard on the walkie-talkie whisked the man out of the bank. Michelle remembered that she still had this man's business card at work. She was going to be able to tell the police exactly who did this to her. That is, if they were still going to let her live. Even though the men had left, Michelle still had the dynamite strapped to her back. They hadn't taken it off. But the main thing on her mind was getting home and making sure that her daughter was okay. She knew that poor little Bria must have been sitting in that closet, terrified and alone, if she was to still be alive. Why would they have left both her and her daughter alive? They didn't need them anymore. There was no reason to. As soon as Michelle got home, the house was quiet. It didn't sound like anybody was there. Her heart was thumping inside her chest. Where was Bria? She ran over to the closet where she had been left and her daughter was there and unharmed. However, she as well still had the dynamite taped to her back. Kimbra, the roommate, did too. Michelle cried tears of joy. She had had no idea if she was ever going to see her daughter again until this moment. It's at that point that they called the police. Once the police got to the home, they took the dynamite off of Michelle, Bria, and the roommate's back. Upon examination, the bomb squad discovered it was fake. They were just two broomstick handles that had been cut up, painted, and taped together to look like dynamite. The business card that Michelle remembered one of the assailants leaving her the day of the attack had the man's real name on it, Christopher Butler. The FBI would discover that Christopher was a convicted felon with a history of robbing banks. Through surveillance, they found Christopher living in a house with his fiancee, Lisa Ramirez, the same woman that had been speaking over the walkie-talkie and the same woman who had come into the bank with him the day before. When Chris and Lisa were arrested 10 days later at a traffic stop, Investigators found a lot of physical evidence on them, tying them directly to the crime, including a BB gun that matched one Michelle had described, ski masks, Michelle's credit cards, as well as the money straps from the bank. At their house, investigators found all the ingredients to make a fake bomb. They found pieces of wood that looked to be cut up pieces of broom handle, along with red spray paint cans including one can that had Lisa's fingerprints directly on it. Christopher's fingerprints would later be found on the fake dynamite itself. The investigators were shocked and said they had never seen so much physical evidence pretty much handed right to them. 
like these people had done with their fake dynamite. These seem like dumb criminals though. Dumb criminals. Christopher denied any involvement in the crime and tried to protect Lisa as well. But during her interview with police, Lisa Ramirez admitted to the authorities that she was involved in the plot. It was actually her idea, she said. She even took credit for the idea of using fake dynamite as well as kidnapping the bank manager and her daughter. She told detectives that the money had been split three ways among the three suspects. However, her and Christopher's shares had been mysteriously stolen. It was also during this interview that Lisa lied to investigators and told them that Michelle was also in on this plot to rob the bank. The investigators who had observed the relationship between Michelle and Bria, however, knew that there's no way Michelle could have been involved with this. She would never have done something like this to her own daughter. So there was all this evidence to corroborate Michelle's side of the story, as well as the fact that the other two suspects, Christopher Butler and Robert Ortiz, and had said nothing about Michelle being involved in any way. Then in June of 2002, Christopher Butler and Lisa Ramirez would be tried together. Michelle knew that they had a lot of evidence, so she thought the trial was gonna be a slam dunk. There was no way in her mind that they weren't gonna convict both of them. The DA's office was confident that Lisa's key statement about her involvement would be allowed into evidence. With this, there would be no denying that this was her idea, as she had said so right on camera. However, to everyone's surprise, since Lisa's statements also implicated her co-defendant, Christopher Butler, the judge ruled the entire interview inadmissible. Oh, the justice system. Which would now give her defense more room to argue that Lisa was not involved. Without Lisa's statement, the case against her relied heavily on Michelle's testimony. In court, however, the defense would attack Michelle's credibility. Michelle said, they treated her like she was the criminal the entire time. Lisa's defense attorney came out and said that his strategy was to beat the hell out of the victim and to point out all the inconsistencies that the victim says. Nice, nice. Lisa's attorney implied that Michelle had been lying about recognizing Lisa and Christopher's voices on the walkie-talkie the night she was held hostage, pointing out that it wasn't in any of the FBI reports. But Michelle insisted that she did tell them. And the DA also argued in her defense, saying that she did recognize Christopher's voice. But the defense attorney argued that even though his client had admitted the voice was hers, the jury didn't know that. He also went on to say that it was suspicious that Michelle had not taken the bait money, which are the traceable bills that the bank holds to give specifically to bank robbers so that they are later able to track down the bills and hopefully catch the criminal. Michelle explained, however, that she was not gonna take any chances that day as the assailants had told her no funny money and she was not gonna risk her daughter's life. And maybe worst of all, the defense also cast out on Michelle's maternal instincts, asking why she had gone back to the house if she had dynamite strapped to her that could go off and kill them all at any minute. They hammered down on every decision Michelle had made that day. They even tore apart her personal finances and her sex life. They were trying to make her look extremely irresponsible and cast doubt in the jury's eyes whether or not she was involved. 
Now, when Christopher Butler took the stand, he now told a new elaborate story, one in which Michelle had masterminded the bank robbery. And he claimed the two of them had previously had an affair as well. He said that him and Michelle had met at a grocery store and Michelle had actually recruited him for the bank robbery. Regardless of all that ridiculousness, after five days of deliberating, the jury found Christopher Butler guilty of the robbery as well as the kidnapping of Bria and the roommate Kimbra. They were, however, hung nine to three on the charges involving Michelle's kidnapping. Apparently, one of the jurors had believed Christopher's story, and an additional two jurors were unsure if his story was true or not. Christopher was sentenced to two consecutive life terms plus 52 years behind bars on charges of conspiracy to commit kidnapping for robbery, two counts of kidnapping for a ransom, first-degree robbery, and two counts of theft. The two other masked men that night, Christopher Huggins and Robert Ortiz, were also convicted in their own separate trials. But Lisa Ramirez would walk away a free woman. The jury found her not guilty on all counts. And she had been the mastermind behind the entire thing. Awesome. It wasn't until 2020 when Christopher Butler was up for parole that he finally admitted that him and Michelle never had a relationship and he recanted his entire testimony. His parole, however, was denied. Michelle quit working for Bank of America following a good 13-year career in 2001. It was directly related to the robbery. She underwent two and a half years of trauma therapy before finding a spiritual and emotional awakening during a one-year-long endeavor in the cold of Alaska. Since then, Michelle has established a career as a public speaker, author, producer, and businesswoman, all the while still maintaining her priority of being a devoted mother to a now adult, Bria Renee. Even though Bria also had to undergo two and a half years of cognitive and PTSD therapy after the incident, she always appeared to be perfectly okay on the outside. She was a tough little girl. And after everything she had already been through on December 8th of 2011, the 18-year-old woke up paralyzed on one side, unable to speak and swallow, and she was starting to go blind as well. Bria had been rushed to the hospital where doctors first ruled out stroke, lupus, and Lyme disease before positively diagnosing her with multiple sclerosis. As if that's not enough, she also lost her father, to drug abuse and alcohol abuse later that same year. But Bria has still found a way to push forward and she obtained her bachelor's degree with a double major in psychology and child development from the San Diego State University in California. She is now 30 years old and holds the position of executive assistant at Verb Media Group, whose CEO slash lead videographer is none other than her mother, Michelle Renee. Showing people that it's not always the end all be all when something bad happens to you. You can come out of it stronger. Do you think in some way what happened to you when you were seven prepared you for battling MS? Yes, I think it made me strong enough to go through what I went through with MS. 
So the two of them seem to be doing well since the incident, even though it took years of therapy to get them there. As a mother, I can't even imagine how Michelle felt when Bria was taken away from her and strapped with dynamite that at the time she thought was real. And it's awful to think that another woman who should understand the bond between a mother and a child had been the one that had thought of this awful form of torture for them just to get the money that she wanted that was taken away. Oh, sorry, that was lost less than 10 days after they received it. If you did enjoy this video, with this being the first one that was not about a murder, please let me know in the comments because I'd love to do more of these along with the murder cases that I do. Thanks for watching A Wicked World today. Until next time, guys, take care. Bye.